Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Hey Amen. Morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing good. Everybody hanging out online, Niwad Campus, Fred Campus, good to see you. We we're in week three of our series uh, entitled Christmas Effect. We've, we've titled it because we just believe as a church, Christmas, it affects us way more than, than we realize. And really the story of Christmas is, is the beginning story of the life of Jesus. And, and everything we know about God, we know through the life of Jesus. And so because of that, it, it, affects, it affects all of us. And I love the Christmas season. In fact, the older I get, uh, the more I get into Christmas. I don't know if you're like that, but I mean, it was just like four or five years ago, I, I was in a bad mood when we would start, you know, getting out all the Christmas decor. I never hung up lights on my house. And then I don't know what happened. Okay. Just something along the way. I just was like, you know what? I love Christmas all of a sudden. So I just, you know, I've got lights on my house this year. We had our Christmas decor up early. And so I'm all in on Christmas this every year. Just, I get into it more and more. And even Christmas is like taking over our calendar year because we want to get to it as soon as possible. But today here's the deal. I have a confession to make. And I've never talked about this from stage, and, and, uh, but I chatted with our team this week, and I was like, hey, is, is this week the week? And they're like, yeah, we think you can do it. So I have a confession to make, all right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang with me for a couple of minutes, because as much as I love Christmas, okay, Christmas Eve services have not always been my favorite. I know. Just hang on a sec, okay? Just hang on a sec. Hear the story. And here's the deal with Christmas. Christmas Eve services is that, you know, in six days, I mean, our Christmas Eve services here at Rocky, there's going to be thousands and thousands of people. I mean, our attendance will double and triple. There's going to be so many people here. And you might be wondering, well, Matt, isn't that awesome? Aren't you, you know, really excited about that? Well, let me tell you about my first Christmas Eve service here at Rocky. It was eight and a half years ago. It was my first Christmas Eve, and I came from Virginia, and in Virginia, our church, this, is, this might sound a little weird, but our, our church there that I was on staff for almost seven years, didn't, they didn't do Christmas Eve services. And the reason why they didn't do Christmas Eve services is because we were surrounded by these really like huge you know, mega churches, and they put on this huge Christmas production, and so our church leadership team was like, let them do it, okay? And so you know, everybody just went to one of those, because they just did it better, and it was louder, and you know, brighter, and everything. So I, I never... I never spoke at a Christmas Eve service. And so eight and a half years ago, I get to Rocky, and we're coming up to Christmas Eve, and it's like, yeah, you know, everybody's stoked. There's going to be so many people here. It's Christmas, you know. And so I remember that first Christmas Eve service. I get right up on this stage, and the room is packed. I mean, you couldn't find a seat in this auditorium. And I'm up there, and I start teaching, and it only took about two minutes till I quickly realized, ain't nobody listening to a word I'm saying. They're, I mean, they're just like a, a hum in the room. Everybody's like, no one can sit still. Everybody, they're just like, you're just moving. There's a billion kids running around everywhere. I mean, no one's listening to a word I'm saying. And on that Christmas Eve service, I was scheduled to preach for 30 minutes. And I preached the shortest message I've ever preached here at Rocky. Because at minute 12, I just said, I'm done. And I just prayed. Right at minute 12, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to pray. So I was scheduled for 30, only, only preached for 12, and I just said, I mean, right in the middle of the whole thing, maybe you were there. It was weird, but I just said, you know what, I'm going to pray. And so I just prayed. 
And I get done praying, and I say, hey, amen. And I look behind me. The band's not here because they're, they're waiting for, you know, I'm supposed to preach for 30. They're expecting 40, you know, and so they're not even out here yet. And so I go, amen. I look back. I go, okay, well, then let's just hang out here for a second. We just stood here for about a minute. And then the band ran out, and then they, and then they you know, played this song, and, and then we got into it. And, and here's the deal. Christmas Eve services, they're tougher on a preacher than you might think because just about everybody who's going to be here at Christmas Eve this year has already been to a Christmas Eve service. Most of the people that come to the Christmas Eve service already know the story. I mean, there's, I mean, very few people are going to show up on Saturday and then go home and be like, wasn't that crazy? That guy got up there and he talked about a baby. I never heard about that before. Wow, that was fresh. You know, that was so good. You know, you're, you're not going home and hanging out with the family, you know, and doing Christmas Eve stuff. You're like, guys, I got to tell you something. Our pastor got up there this week, man, totally different take on the whole Christmas story. I mean, he got up there and talked about wise men and shepherds, and, and no one's going to be like, what? You know, that's good. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I never heard that before. You know, it's just, no one's doing that. And so most of the people in the room have already heard the story. And so they tell it in a way, you know, that people are engaged. And so here's the crazy thing. I mean, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you just, just think about this for a second, right? So, uh, you know, this, this Saturday, we're going to have, you know, thousands of people here. It's Christmas Eve. And, and there are going to be people here that know, you know, who believe in God. There's going to be people who don't believe in God. But it, here's the crazy part. that We're going to get together because of a story. That happened 2,000 years ago, 7,000 miles away from here. And there's going to be people rolling in who really don't even care what I'm saying. They've heard the story and there's da, 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 and they're still showing up. And do you know why? Do you know why? Be honest. You can confess. Do you know why? This is what I've learned. You know why people show up at Christmas Eve service? It isn't to hear me teach and it hurts my feelings. You know why? You know why? To play with fire. Because you love candles. <laughs> That's it. I've been in, look, some of you are like, nah, yes it is. Yes it is. Because one year along the way, we decided not to use candles, but we told you use your cell phones and the lights on the phone, and I didn't even get out of this building before I had 20 emails that said, you ruined Christmas. <laughs> it's true. The whole time I'm up here teaching, you're just staring at your candle, you know, you're just, when's he gonna be done? We gotta light this thing, you know, I just, isn't that crazy? I mean, we got people in here who believe in God and don't believe in God, and they're all going to get together. You want to know why? Hashtag Christmas effect. You know? It's just something about Christmas. It makes us do things. There's people going to be here. They don't even know why they're here, but they're here because they've just always had a moment in their Christmas season where they went to a church and they, they, light, you know, they light a candle, and just everything's, you know, good. It's just, it's just the way it works. I mean, Christmas, it, it affects us more than we think. And, and when you get into the, the New Testament, the, the, the first couple of writers are in the New Testament, these gospel writers that are writing about the life of Jesus, here's, here's essentially what they kind of say. You know what? Christmas is a big deal. It's a big deal and affects us more than we, than we think. Again, because Christmas, it really shows us who God is through the life of Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, then, then you should read about Jesus because Jesus shows us. He came to this earth and he walked on this planet and he talked and he, and he lived his life and people saw it and they wrote it down and it, it, it teaches us so much. If you're a follower of Jesus, the reason why you're able to be a follower of Jesus is because of Christmas. If Christmas never happened, you'd never know who Jesus is and a lot of us would still be really, really confused about who God is. And so here's the cool thing. When you get into the Christmas story, it just begins showing us so much and answering so many big questions 
about God. And this is kind of what we've been doing in this series. And so today, here's, here's the question that I want to wrestle with a little bit that I think the story of Christmas answers. And the question is this, can God use me? Can God use me? And can God use you? Can God use uh, see, here's what I find when I'm meeting with people that are kind of, you know, they're jumping into the faith. The, the first big question that people wrestle with is, you know, does God love me? That's the big question. I mean, could God love me? Does God really love me? And the story of Christmas says, yes, God does love you. That's why he came down to this earth. There's really no other reason why he would come. So yes, God does love you. He showed you his love through his son Jesus, and Jesus showed you his love through the cross. So yes, God loves you. And, and I know there's moments where we still wrestle with that. But then it gets eventually to the next question. Okay, God loves me, but then eventually this person, you know, they're just, they, they, you know, they bumped into Jesus and he changes their life and they're just, you know, they're so pumped up. And then eventually they get to this question. What, what can God do with me? What, what's God asking me to do? Or what's God's plan for my life? Or, you know, when I was growing up, was all, you know, we used the word will all the time. What's God's will? You know, what's he want me to do? Because I want to get it right. You know, there's all these decisions in life and I want to get it right. I want to do what God wants me to do. But essentially the question is, can God use me? I remember feeling that in my life. I bumped into Jesus when I was 12 at a, at a middle school camp, and then, you know, it really, it really wasn't until my high school years so I really started leaning into my relationship with Jesus, and it was right in the middle of my, my junior year where I really asked this question because um, I'm, I'm a pastor now, you guys know that, but believe it or not, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be. In fact, I, I haven't run into somebody in a long time when I'm like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, a pastor? Like, you just don't run into those kind of people. And so when I was growing up, halfway through my junior year, I was kind of going crazy. I went to the big public high school. I wasn't, just wasn't doing things that I should be doing. So right in the middle of my high school uh, year, my junior year, I went to my mom and I confessed all this stuff to her. I said, you know, I'm not, I just can't get it right and hanging out the wrong crowd. And so that was on a Friday. And then on Monday, my parents sent me to a private Christian school. Just to hit the refresh button. And so I've been in public and in private. And if you're a parent, just know you can do bad stuff at both. Okay. And so I, I went to this private school. I went from a graduating class of hundreds of kids. And then three days later, I went to a school with a graduating class of 21. And I showed up into this small, and I just got to small school, got to kind of restart. And, and so I get through halfway through my junior year, I finish here, and then my senior year, the year starts, and, um, and I just walked into school one day, and the, the vice principal came to me and said, hey, just a heads up, uh, you got voted vice president of the school. I said, I didn't even know I was running. You know, I don't, how does that happen? And I think they were just playing a joke on me, like everyone's like, hey, let's vote for Matt, because nobody wants to do this. And so they said, yeah, you got voted vice president, and then they asked me to do something I didn't want to do, because at that time, and I know this is hard to believe, but at that time, I didn't like talking in front of people. It's not something I, I like to do or enjoy, I didn't even want to think about doing, and so we had a chapel once a week, and the vice principal said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up, since you're vice president, you have to teach at one of our chapels. And all the school would come together, you know? And I, t and I remember looking at him and said, no. Mm. And he said, well, yeah, you have to do it. I go, I don't want to do it. He goes, yeah, you have to. I go, I don't even want to be the vice president. I'm out. I quit. He goes, you can't quit. You got voted in. You're vice president. You got to teach. I went to the principal, Mr. McKee. I even remember his name. I went to the principal and I said, I can't do this. He said, why? I said, I just can't. He goes, you got to do it. 
We all have this, right? And, and it was through these, like, these moments in my life I can look back and I see God's leading. This one thing kind of led to another. But if you're like, hey, Matt, what, you know, why did you decide you know, to become a pastor? You know, was that your plan or what? And I said, hey, here's the deal. That whole origin story of me being a pastor of who, how I got here you know, 20-something years later started because you know, I got voted VP and, and, and they said, hey, you have to teach at this chapel. And I don't know if you, if you ever had something like that where you feel like God is leading you in a certain direction. You, you know, you're like, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if that's really for me. Or you've had a moment of your life, you know, where God's leading you in a certain direction and you feel a little unsettled or maybe unqualified. Maybe you feel a little unneeded. You're just like, you know, I just, I don't know why you would ask me. I remember feeling that as a senior in high school. Why are you asking me? You should be asking somebody else, somebody who's way better than me and someone who, you know, who's a way better speaker than me. You, know, you should go get a pastor to do that, not me. I'm, I'm gonna make a mess of it. And yet, this is the cool thing about the Christmas story. It's filled with all these characters that if you were probably casting the story, you wouldn't choose. It's all these people that are part of the, maybe one of the most famous stories that all of us know. It doesn't even matter if you believe in God or not. You've heard the names of these characters. And it's very interesting about the characters that God chooses. It's very interesting. And so if you've ever felt, I'm just telling you, unwanted or unusable or unneeded, the Christmas story begins to lean into your life. Because here's what all these people in this Christmas story, here's what they found out 2,000 years ago. They found out that it really wasn't about their abilities or their past or their mistakes or their failures, but instead what they found out, they found out the most important thing was about their willingness just to follow God in his plan. I'll prove it. The, the, the mother of Jesus, what's her name? Mary, you've heard of her. Some of you are like, oh, I, I forgot, it's not Christmas Eve yet. You know, that's Mary. It's Mary. Isn't that wild that you know her name? You know her name. And the only reason why you know her name is because you know, a couple thousand years ago, she was willing to follow. I'll prove it. Just hear her backstory just for a second. Let me just tell you where she grew up. I mean, one of the most unlikely characters in this whole Christmas story. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it's a whole nother story, or a whole nother crazy story. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit later, about this lady named Elizabeth. But she's been pregnant for six months. Now look at this. So God, he sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So here's the deal. Before this verse, Nazareth, right, it existed, but nobody talked about it. Nazareth was remarkable, you know, 2,000 years ago for being very unremarkable. In all the scriptures, this is the first mention of the town of Nazareth. I mean, the only reason you've heard of Nazareth is because this is where Mary is from, and this is where Jesus will grow up. And when the word on the street, you know, when Jesus begins to grow up and he's, you know, words out there that this might be the son of God and Jesus begins recruiting, you know, his, his kind of early followers, his, his disciples, a natural conversation happens just like it happens for you and me. When you meet somebody new or maybe even, you know, you want to know the origin story of somebody famous, what do you say? You know, eventually you go, where are they from? Where are you from? 
And, and this is what happens with Jesus. And this shows you how unpopular Nazareth is. This is John chapter one, verse 45. So Philip's going around and he's telling people about this Jesus guy. Look what it says. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Look, he's Jesus. Where's he from? Nazareth. And he's the son of Joseph. Now look at his response, verse 46. Nazareth. For real? I mean, can anything good come from there? Hey, where's this Jesus dude from? If he's the son of God, you know, where's he from? Where is he born? Oh, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth, because we all know this, where we, from, where we are from kind of communicates something about us, right? When I moved here to Colorado eight and a half years ago, I did a little stint in Arkansas for eight months. And when I moved here, people would say, where are you from? And I'd say, well, I was just in Arkansas, but I'm not from there. Okay, that's what I'd say real quick. <laughs> I'm not from Arkansas. No, no, no. See, I'm not Matt of Arkansas. No, 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 no. See, I grew up in New England, and I'm from Connecticut, and I tell the whole story. But I said that hundreds of times. Hey, where are you from? Well, we moved here. That's not where I'm from. I don't want you to think I'm from Arkansas. No offense to Arkansas people, but just imagine, and I know Arkansas is a state, but just imagine like if Jesus was just showing up now, right? And I'm up here, I'm like, guys, I I ran into this guy named Jesus. You know, he's son of God. I see him do miracles. You're like, where is he from? And I was like, oh, it's Jesus of Arkansas. You'd be like, yeah, right. He's Jesus of Ohio. You're like, no, please, no. You know what I mean? You get this. I mean, certain states, they communicate something about the people that live there, right? I mean, Jesus of Colorado, way cooler than a lot of other states. <laughs> so Mary is from Nazareth. Not very cool. Not very cool at all. And the fact that you even know her name, I'm telling you, it's a Christmas effect. You shouldn't know who she is. She's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I mean, as far as the world was concerned, when it came to Mary, Mary was a nobody from nowhere. Who even cares? And yet Jesus will change all that. Look at this verse, again, look at this, verse 26, and I'll read verse 27. So again, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to nowhere, a town in Galilee. To who? Look, verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So two things, Luke here, the author, he wants you to know right away. First, that when this angel shows up, Mary's in the midst of a very serious relationship. And how these relationships would go in the context of marriage were a little bit different 2,000 years ago than they are today. There was kind of three stages to a Jewish wedding. First stage was an engagement. There was kind of formal agreement between these fathers. Then eventually you'd get to this betrothal season which was like a ceremony where you would make mutual promises. It was very, very serious, but you weren't married yet because you would be in this betrothal kind of season for about a year. And then eventually there'd be a marriage. And so when a couple was to, you know, be betrothed, to get out of that would require a divorce. It wasn't just a casual promise. It was a very, very big promise. So that's the first thing Luke wants you to know. And the second thing that Luke wants you to know is that Mary is a virgin, meaning she's never had sex. This is part of the story. In verse 28, so the angel said to her and said, greetings, you, are, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
And look at Mary's response. So Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So Mary was surprised, and you would be too, because she couldn't figure out why an angel would be talking to her. She's from Nazareth. I mean, she's most likely just a peasant girl and a very young girl at that. She's probably 15. She's listening to this announcement. She's going, I don't know if you know me. I'm not sure if you've got the right person. I don't even know if you're in the right place. And so Mary was confused, but she was also concerned. So Gabriel leans in, being a good angel. Look at this, verse 30. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. And then everything was all right. That's just not how it works. But don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. So within a couple of verses, this angel has, has told Mary, listen, you are favored. You are highly favored. Now, if you weren't planning on coming to Christmas Eve on Saturday, you should, because that's what we're talking about on Saturday. In fact, if you have a young person, a middle school, high school kid, you should bring them on Saturday. Because we're going to preach a Christmas Eve service you've never heard before. That's the challenge before we light our candles, okay? And it's going to be a good one. And that's what we're talking about. So the angel leans in and says, you don't have to be afraid. Listen, you are favored, and here is the plan, Mary. Let me tell you the plan. Maybe you're a plan. Let me tell you the plan. Verse 31, Mary, here's what's going to happen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. We already picked out the name for you. It's so easy. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's an incredible announcement. And Gabriel, he, he makes this wonderful, and I also think for Mary, horrible announcement. Mary was going to have a child that's wonderful. Not just any child, a great one. How great? I mean, Gabriel leans in. He's, listen, his name is Jesus, going to be called Son of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. Mary, I mean, he, he is, it's incredible. And yet, in the midst of that incredible announcement, Mary goes, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Say again. Okay, I, you got the name picked out, but she says, verse 34, uh, question, how will this be? I don't know how that's going to work. Here's why. I'm a virgin. Also, I'm in this relationship with this guy. We're in the middle of this betrothal season, and so this is not really a good time for me to get pregnant. Could we wait, you know, maybe a year from now, you know? I'm sorry, you know, how does that work? I mean, because, you know, Mary goes, look, Gabriel, you know, and she might be, not be the smartest person from the best town and all that, but she's smart enough, and she looks at Gabriel and goes, listen, here's one thing I do know, virgins, they don't have babies, right? I, I don't know how that's going to work. It's a legitimate question. How, how is this all going to work out? The actual birth of Jesus will, will be very normal, but his conception, not so much. Then you get to verse 35, and the an angel said, yeah, 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 I knew you were going to ask that question. Look, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So it's the power of God. Mary, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be creating life inside your womb. It was unprecedented. had never happened before. But it was predicted. Isaiah, an Old, Te- Old Testament prophet, he told us that Jesus would come to us in a way that, would, that he would be knowable and relatable and accessible. 
And then again, the Gabriel, you know, Gabriel, this angel, he's like, I know this is crazy, but let me tell you some other crazy things that are happening. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, who, who's your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And what biblical scholars say is that Elizabeth's probably in her 80s, in her 80s. And she who was said to be unable to conceive, she's, she's six months pregnant. We got, listen, Mary, got all kind of crazy stuff going on, okay? Holy Spirit, I mean, you're going to, you know, you're going to deliver the Son of God, your, your relative here, Elizabeth, she's 80 and she's pregnant, okay? And so there's just all kind of miraculous things that are, that are happening. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. And then, and then verse 38, look at Mary's response. She goes, okay, look, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Okay, I'm in. I don't know how this is all going to work, but this is pretty crazy, and you're an angel, and I've never had a conversation with an angel before. And if I was choosing how this thing would work out, I wouldn't choose it to go this way because this is going to get messy. I'm, you know, and Joseph, I, he, I don't know if he's even going to be on board with this, but I've heard, I've heard, I've heard the, the rumors that the God was coming. And I don't even get it because I'm from Nazareth, but if you say I'm highly favored, then I'll go with you on it. And hey, let it be what it is. I'm in. I don't even know how it's all going to work out. So Mary is willing to submit her life to God's plan. And I'm just telling you, if you're in the room today and you're thinking, man, could God use me? Does he know my past? Does he know where I'm from? Does does he know the decisions I've made? Here's the deal. The single greatest qualification that any of us need to be used by God for big things is just to go with God's plan. If God's doing the asking, then you do the following. God, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to go do this and I want you to go here. And here's what I find that oftentimes in his request in our life, his plan does not look like our plan. His plan tends to be a lot different than our plan. The plans that we come up with are rarely the plans that God puts out in front of us. If Mary was writing the plan for her life, it wouldn't include a virgin birth. It wouldn't include, you know, getting pregnant in the midst of a betrothal season with her future husband. I mean, all of this took a lot more trust in God than probably what what we might think. Again, Mary was a normal girl living in a boring town called Nazareth. She was probably, again, right around 15 and engaged to be married. But before Joseph had even touched her, she gets pregnant. And today that might, you know, that might not seem like, you know, that a huge deal might lead to a little bit of gossip, you know, somebody who was engaged, who got pregnant, but back then it would have been much more serious because having sex outside of marriage in Israel 2,000 years ago could get you stoned to death. Best case, her reputation would be ruined. Worst case, she's dead. And so when she says to God, I'm, I'm in, you have to understand there's got to be a lot of things going through her mind. And that's what Mary faced, not, not just dirty looks from the other people in the town of Nazareth, but, a, but at least a season, if not a lifetime struggle of loneliness and the real possibility of death. Because if you were there and I were there hanging out in Nazareth and we knew of Mary and Mary's walking around town and we're going, is, is she showing? Yeah, she is. Isn't she in the betrothal period with Joseph? Yes, she is. Well, what's her story? She says God got her pregnant. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We wouldn't believe it. And my guess is everybody in that town didn't believe it either. Except maybe for her soon-to-be husband and a couple of shepherd and wise men. I mean, there's a lot of people for the rest of her life 
that were probably questioning the whole story and the relationship of Mary and Joseph. Just imagine being Joseph, just feeling the tension that he's going through. There aren't many things more humiliating than your girl sleeping around. That's the story that's going around town. Takes a a conversation with with an angel for Joseph to, to even just stay with Mary. I mean, the headline in the town goes something like this. Teenage girl gets pregnant and her boyfriend is not the father. You know, that's, that's the headline. And yet, this is the origin story of Christmas. And here's the shock. All of that was God's doing. All of it. All of this was part of the plan. And so I don't know what you think about God. If you're new to church or you're kind of, you know, just trying to figure out faith, you might have an idea about what God is like and... Maybe you think God is just this far distant God. He doesn't even really care about us. Or maybe you think God's out there. He's playing games with us and he shows up to kind of punish us every once in a while. Or maybe you think he's a God who doesn't even really understand, you know, what it's like for us to have life on this earth. And yet you read the Christmas story. and What do we learn about God? That our God, the Christian God of our faith, actually is a God who gets involved. He gets into the mess. He, he's really good at turning lives upside down in a good way, but not always an easy way. Mary was willing to risk her life to carry out God's Christmas plan. And she just found out the secret of being used by God for big things was just being willing to go with it. I'm going with it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how it works. I'm just going with it. Bob Goff, who's, he's a speaker and an author, he says this. I love this quote. He goes, I used to think you had to be special for God to use you. But now I know you simply need to say yes. You just got to say yes. And here's the struggle for all of us that a lot of times that we do all this, you know, thinking and energy, figuring out, you know, our plan. And then we come before God and we go, God, would you please bless my plan? And God goes, hey, that's, that's a, that's an interesting plan. But God just shows up in, in our lives in the midst of that. And he goes, well, here's my plan. Would you just follow it, please? If I'm good enough for your salvation, can I be good enough for the plans of your life? Can, can I just show up? I, hey, listen, that's really good. That's a great presentation. And, you, you know, the poster board thing, it's really nice, really nice. I know you want to be a professional athlete, but so do 8 billion people in the world. That's really, really good. But let me just show you this. How do you feel if I don't bless that, but you just follow this, you know? What if you just trust me enough to, I get it. This wasn't what you wanted to do your whole life, but come on, come on. Why don't you just do this? I know you want to use your money like that, but what if you used it for this? I get it. I get it. I get it. When I go back and I look at the, you know, when I look at that season of my life when I was in my junior, you know, senior year of high school, I, I had a plan for my life. And here was the plan, that I wanted to be rich, you know. And I remember when God started interacting with me about this whole pastor thing, I remember one of the first things I pushed back because I looked at all the other pastors in my life and they appeared to me to be broke, okay? They couldn't even afford a house. The church had to like give them one. And then everyone knew where the pastor lived. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, I don't want to do that. No, here's what I want to do. I wanted to go into business and I wanted to make money, you know? I had this idea that if one day if I could drive a yellow Mitsubishi Eclipse... You know, that was my dream car. Dude, if I could just do that, if I could just have that car one day, my life would be perfect, you know? 
That was the dream. That was the goal. And then here's here's this crazy thing. And then for some reason, in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, you've never even heard of it. I'm going to this small little, you know, private Christian school, and I get voted the vice president of the school. They say, you got to teach. And I went to my student pastor. I go, this is, dude, what am I going to talk about? He said, just tell your story. Four years before that, my father had passed away. He said, you just tell your story. Tell your testimony. Just what God's done in your life. So I remember going to that chapel and I speak at the chapel and other, you know, student pastors in, in our community would show up to our chapels. And so I get done teaching and then another student pastor was there. He said, hey, would you come to, you know, to our student ministry on Wednesday night and teach? And I said, no, what? No. And he goes, no, 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 it'll be really good. I really want my students to hear. That was really powerful, you know. All of a sudden, I'm just, you know, I'm going to all these other student ministries. Like, my, I guess it's the school, you know. And then this one day, my student pastor calls me. He goes, yo, there's this place that called. And they heard about your, about your testimony. They want you to come and share. And I just told him yes for you. I was like, cool. He goes, I'm going to pick you up on Sunday. And we're going to go over there because there's chapel service on Sunday morning. I had no idea what I was getting into. And we show up to this place. It was called Scotland School for Kids. And it was a place for kids whose parents had died in war. They have no parents. I've driven past this place hundreds of times and know what it was. And so we're rolling in there, you know, and we go into this chapel, it's filled. I'm talking about two, three, four hundred kids in this room. It's, you know, and immediately I look at my student pastor, I'm like, what is going on here? What is this? You know, this is not like 20 kids student ministry. And he goes, oh, these kids, they, 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 they have to go to this chapel service, so they bring in speakers. So I told him, yes, you know, for you, and, and they don't have any parents. And I remember saying to him, my story's not going to play here. I got one parent left. I want them to go up there and tell my dad died boo-hoo for me. They don't care, you know? And he's like, just get, Matt, just get up there and share. I was terrified. I get up in, you know, on this chapel and I tell this story. And, and I remember, you know, I get to the end and I said, hey, if you like to make a, re, you know, if you like to respond, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm just telling you, he loves you and you should follow him even in the midst of difficulties and things you don't understand. And he wants to do amazing things in your life. And I'm just telling you, if you want to follow him, if you've never followed him, you should. I'll never forget it. I mean, just kids in droves start coming down. And that moment had nothing to do with me. I remember just standing on that stage. I remember God, I mean, you know, as clearly as I could hear it. I remember God saying to me, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. This is it, man. And I'm just telling you, in that moment, I wasn't thinking about a yellow Mitsubishi eclipse. Man, when you're in the midst of God's plan, even when it doesn't make sense, you don't understand it, when you just know he's using you, you're in. And so here's the thing. Here's my guess, okay? My guess is that when it comes to the plan for God in your life, an angel named Gabriel isn't going to show up, okay? Might have been a little bit easier for Mary to receive it because that would be pretty epic. And I'm no angel. But can I just tell you something? The reason why I'm here telling you about a story that happened 2,000 years ago, because I haven't gotten always right, but there was one of those days I got it right. When God said, I want you to go here, and I want you to do this, and I said, okay. That's why I'm on this stage. In Colorado, of all places, I didn't think I'd ever be here talking to you, and here I am. 
And here's what I've learned, that when it comes to God's plan for your life, if you would just stop making excuses. Young people, you're not too young. Old people, Elizabeth was 80, she's having babies. You're not too old, okay? If we just stop making excuses, if you would just do what God would put in front of you and just say yes to it. Yes, God, I will use my money that way. Yes, God, I will serve my spouse that way. Yes, God, I will go in that direction for my vocation. Yes, I'm in. I don't know how it works. I don't get it. I have these other plans, but I'll just trust that your way is going to be the best way. And here's my guess. At the end of your life, you won't regret it. Mary gets to the end of her life and her life looks nothing like she thought it would be growing up as a little girl in Nazareth. And if she was here, she'd tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't what I planned. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And the reason why you know her name 2,000 years later isn't because she had the most ability, isn't because she was the smartest, isn't, what, isn't because she grew up in the best family in the town of Nazareth. No, no, no. She was favored by God. And she said, yes. Can God use you? Yeah, he can. It's not really the question though. Christmas answers it. Of course God can use you. The question is, are you willing to follow? And when you do, things happen. If as a church, if we follow, amazing things will happen. Mary followed, things happen. So, this Christmas season, what's God asking you to do? Where is he asking you to go? What if we stopped making excuses with plans that we don't understand? We just trusted God and said yes. If he's good enough for your salvation, he's good enough with your plan. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning. You are a God who is involved Nobody loves us more than you. And I pray this morning that we would wrestle with the days of our lives. Because the truth is today we get to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to spend our money. And I pray that we would be followers in such a way that we would, we would have our plans where they would stay open-handed we would let you take a look at our life because nobody knows us better. We let you get involved in our resources and go, God, here it is. I've got some ideas, but what, what would you have me do? And that we would be brave enough and have enough courage and trust you enough that we would say, all right, I'll go. I'll do it. That wasn't the plan that I had, but I'll trust you. And we'll say yes and say yes and keep saying yes. So I pray that you would be so, so real and fresh that you would renew our minds and our hearts. But the Christmas story, this season just wouldn't be another story about a baby, but this is, this is a baby who changed the world and is still changing the world, who changed the lives of a young girl 2,000 years ago and he changes lives today. So do it again. Put an amazing dream in the hearts of our young people. God, for the older people in this room, Vision them again. They're still here, so you still got a plan. That we would treasure the days that you have given to us and use them in such a way that just maybe, just maybe, 
people will tell stories about how we trusted God with everything, not just with some things. We love you. We love you. And we thank you for this amazing, incredible story of Christmas. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And the church said...